Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Near the end of chapter 17 of his treatise on the anger of God, Lactantius is going to provide us with a definition of what he calls just anger. And it's very straightforward. You know, he's using the Latin term justus, in this case, justa ira, right? So the kind of anger that would be appropriate. And why is he doing this? Well, because God, who does get angry, has just anger toward those at whom he feels and displays that anger. And Lactantius is going to be contrasting this against all sorts of mistaken understandings of anger and the divine that focus on unjust anger and use wrong-headed definitions, ultimately coming from philosophers. Now, he's going to get there by considering the, first of all, action of God, the octus, what it is that God does. And he says that God is not asleep. He's not dead. He's not at rest. And this is attacking the the views of, of some other philosophers who think that God really doesn't do anything or the gods don't do anything. And then he says to himself that what can the action of God consist in? And here he talks about the administration of the world. And the Latin term there is actually administratio, right? Taking care of, running, regulating, making sure that everything goes right of the mundus, the, the, the world, the entirety of the universe. And he'll use the word care or cura, right? And he'll tell us that God cares about not just the world as a totality, but also specifically human beings, right? Homines and the life of human beings, not just human beings in the abstract, but the actual lives that people live. And this extends to individual actions of these human beings. He uses the word singular, right, for those, but we can translate that as individual. So he's a God who's got a lot on his mind, so to speak, right? And he goes on and he tells us that he earnestly desires that human beings should be wise and good. He wants human beings to be like him. I mean, human beings are made in the divine image, as Lactantius is going to discuss in other places. And so he wants us to be as you know close as we can to God in terms of wisdom and goodness. And that includes justice as well. So Lactantius goes on and says, this is the will, the voluntas of God. This is what God desires, wants chooses for human beings. And he gives this as a law, which Lactantius is going to call divine law, an eternal law. And so God then is actually moved by anger, by the 
feeling or emotion or affection of anger against those who, now notice this, not just those who break the law, also those who despise or show contempt for this law. And so, you know, there's going to be some anger arising pretty necessarily, but why? Is it because God is just jealous? No, it's because God wants the best for human beings. As, you know, Lactantius will say in other places, anger and care or beneficence go together for God. And so he goes on and he says, it's necessary that God should be moved with anger against the person who's broken this. If, as he says, God does harm to anyone, therefore he's not good. They are deceived by no slight error who defame all censure, whether human or divine, with the name of bitterness or malice, thinking that a person ought to be called injurious who visits the injurious with punishment. So he's taking on a possible objection. Somebody might say, well, God is supposed to be, you know, really nice, all good. He wouldn't hurt anybody, right? And interestingly, he's not just taking on, let's call them mealy mouth Christians. He's also taking on the Epicureans who say, gods don't do that sort of thing, right? So... Here, Lactantius is going to employ an interesting analogy. He's thinking about God, not just in terms of being a judge. He talks about uh, that as well. You know, we don't condemn all judges for engaging in judgment and punishment, right? Why would we do that with God? He actually thinks that a better metaphor might be the owner and ruler of a household. He says... I would ask from those who represent God as immovable, if anyone had property, a house, a household of servants and the servants or slaves despising the forbearance of their master should attack all things and themselves take enjoyment of his goods. If his household should honor them while the master was despised by all insulted and deserted, could he be a wise person who would not avenge the insults, but permit those over whom he had power to have the enjoyment of his property? And he says, that's not really forbearance. That is insensible stupor. That's not a laudable state of view, right? And says to pardon deeds of this part is actually not kindness. But cruelty. Why? Because you're letting things be disordered. You're allowing those people not just to take your stuff, but they're probably going to be doing damage to other people as well. And then he says, so the world is, as it were, the house of God and human beings, as it were, his slaves. And if his name is a mockery to them, what kind or amount of forbearance is it to give up his own honors, to see wicked and unjust things done, and not to be indignant, which is peculiar and natural to him who is displeased with sins. And here, Lactantius is going to say something very, very interesting to bring that analogy to a close. He says, to be angry, therefore, is the part of reason, for thus faults are removed, licentiousness is curbed, and this is plainly in accordance with justice and wisdom. So anger, in this sense, in the right way, is actually tied in with these two things that are recognized as not just virtues, but also divine attributes, justice and wisdom. So how do people get so mixed up about this? Lactantius blames the philosophers, which, you know, he thinks they were, you know, sometimes on the right track, but they were missing some information they needed and often got things mixed up. So he talks about two schools in particular, the Stoics and the Aristotelians. And he says, the Stoics did not see 
a distinction between just and unjust anger. They think it's all unjust. So, I mean, you can look at Seneca or Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius and their remarks about anger and, and get a good sense of that. What about the Aristotelians? Well, Lactantius here refers us to his much larger work, The Divine Institutes, where he actually talks about the Aristotelians at length. He says, you can read that book. The Aristotelians go wrong by thinking that you just moderate anger. You know, anger is fine provided that you feel the right amount of it and you kind of curb the excesses of it, but you do need it for other stuff. And, you know, is this the full Aristotelian view on anger? Ah, that's debatable, right? But it probably was a popular conception that people were using at the time. And he says, why do these schools go wrong? Both of them are ignorant of the true nature of anger. And so they produce wrong definitions of it. What are these wrong definitions? He says, Seneca enumerated these in the books which he composed on the subject of anger. So if you've read Seneca's on anger, these will be familiar to you. He's citing him there. Anger is, he says, the desire of avenging an injury. Others, as Posidonius, the great Stoic philosopher says, describe it as a desire of punishing him by whom you think you've been unjust, unfairly injured. Some have defined it. Anger is an incitement of the mind to injure him who has either committed an injury who, or who has wished to do so. Aristotle's definition definition, which he's getting from Seneca in this case, because this is not the definition from Rhetoric Book 2. Anger is the desire of requiting pain, giving pain back in response. And so Lactantius is going to say, these are all definitions of anger, but of unjust anger, not of just anger. And he says, this is something that, you know, we have in common with the beasts and we should restrain it in human beings. Uh, otherwise, we could come to some very great evil through rage. So, you know, no problem with this, but this is not the kind of anger that God is going to feel. And this is not the kind of anger that just people are going to feel. So what is that? He says, you know, the just and good person is going to be displeased at seeing evil done. They're not going to be tranquil. They're not going to pretend that it's not evil. They're not going to like brush it under the rug. They're not going to turn their back on it. They're not going to be unduly forgiving and weak and meek with it. They're actually going to be upset about it. They're going to feel anger and they're going to be moved by that anger, he says. Where is that just anger? Anger against offenders. This is evidently not the desire of revenge, right? He says that I speak of the people who are, you could say, under our purview. And he says that we arise to take vengeance, not because we've been injured, not because it's hurt us as such, but because we see wrong being done. And there are purposes behind this. He talks about preserving Discipline, disciplina, right? Order, proper structuring, and preserved is a servata, right? To maintain, to hold on to. Morals in this translation corrected, but the morals are actually mores, which doesn't just mean like the public declaration. It means what's in people. 
the not just feelings and norms, but also habits that people have. Mores names that dimension. And then licentiousness repressed. Licentiousness, going too far with things, you know, all sorts of things. Lust, greed, gluttony. We could go on and on and on, which would also include the licentiousness that comes from unjust anger. So this is quite important. And he says that this is just anger and it's necessary for human beings for the correction of wickedness. So manifestedly, it is necessary in God from whom an example comes to human beings. As we ought to restrain those who are subject to our power, so also ought God to restrain the offenses of all. And in order that he may do this, he must be angry, Lactantia says. And so here's a definition that we can give. Anger, and now the English translation here is a little bit misleading. It's an emotion. Well, it's really a motion, a motus, which takes the, the shape of an affect, right? As we find out later in the treaties. So an emotion of the mind arousing itself, or rather, you know, arising, arousing, insurgentis, rising up, right? In order to do battle for restraining, ad quirkenda, for the purpose of restraining or to the function of it, false, peccata. Peccata can be translated also as sins, false, errors, mistakes, wrongs. It's the things that we do that are unjust. So anger is an emotion of the mind arousing itself for the restraining of faults. And he says that, you know, he concludes this one by saying the definition given by Cicero, anger is the desire of taking vengeance does not differ much from those already mentioned, the wrongheaded ones. And then he says, but that anger, which we may call either fury or rage, shouldn't even exist in human beings because it's altogether vicious. But the anger which relates to the correction of vices ought not to be taken away from human beings, nor can it be taken away from God because it is both serviceable for the affairs of human beings and necessary. So just anger should be there. Unjust anger shouldn't be there. And just anger is in God and can also be in us human beings. And now we know how to rightly define it so we can grasp its nature. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.